Hi, welcome to season two of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. Thank you for supporting me in this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone? You could forward them this episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening. If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. In my next episode, I have a conversation with Christina Callis, who has a natural sixth sense about what's required of her as a leader in the moment. She's a leader who knows vulnerability is a strength, which sometimes means she doesn't always have all the answers. I think it was an acknowledgement that it wasn't about me <laughs> and that I did not have the answers. And in this situation, clearly I don't have the answers, but as a business leader, my team looks to me for answers. And so even if I don't have the answer, I got to give people a path forward. And in this particular situation, because it was so big and momentous and important, it was an acknowledgement that I wasn't going to be the answer here. I didn't have the answers. And also a recognition that if I was going to ask people to be vulnerable, I had to be vulnerable. And that's not necessarily my most comfortable state, particularly at work. And so I just gave in to that vulnerability and kind of let it all hang out. Christina is a dynamic digital retail leader who drives rapid profitable growth for iconic omni-channel retailers. She is currently the EVP and Chief Digital Officer at Total Wine & More, which is known as the country's largest independent retailer of fine wine and spirits, operating in over 200 superstores across 23 states and scaling rapidly. Christina Callis, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm really excited for you to be here. It's funny because you and I originally met because your husband, John, and I are colleagues and we share a similar line of work. And we're also neighbors. I'm still counting you as a neighbor <laughs> as you straddle New York City and Maryland. My daughter has even babysat your son. and. In addition, I've also had the pleasure of actually working with you professionally at a few different points in your career. And that covers a lot of ground with not a lot of people that I know. <laughs> that does cover a lot of ground. And I guess I hadn't thought about all the different ways that we are connected, but you're absolutely right. In, in just about every aspect of our lives, we're connected. That's great. I am excited to have this chance to sit down and talk with you and learn more about your leadership story. So tell me a little bit about this role that you've been in as the chief digital officer for about two years now. What does that mean to be the chief digital officer and what's special about Total Wine and more? Sure. Total Wine is the nation's largest specialty retailer of fine wines, spirits, and beer. We are the nation's only specialty retailer of fine wine, spirits, and beer. So we operate 220-odd stores in 25 states across the country. We're growing. We will be opening up a number of new stores and opening up at least one new state in 2021. So we are a very successful retailer. We fly a little bit under the radar. Not everybody is aware of us. If you have shopped with us, you probably love us. And if you don't know about us, you should. We really are an extraordinary experience. You walk into one of our stores and there are 8,000 bottles of wine glistening in the light, waiting to be tasted and explored and enjoyed with your friends and family. As Chief Digital Officer, I'm responsible, one, for e-commerce. So any of the product that's sold online falls under my responsibility and I'm responsible for growing that business. And I'm also responsible for growing customer engagement and customer loyalty to Total Wine through digital properties. So anytime you interact with us digitally and like us a little bit more, that's my responsibility. 
And my background is in apparel and fashion retail. So I am new to the consumable space. This is a brand new space for me, but it's a ton of fun. There's a lot to learn. It's a very creative space. It's been a really great adventure. I was going to ask you about that because I know that your experience and background is more on the retail fashion side. And I was wondering what you found to be different or unique or, or how you found the transition to this new category. There's a lot of aspects of the business that I find to be quite similar. So all of the winemakers and the distillers and the brewers are creators. And in many cases, we get down to a farmer in France that has a passion for their product and is feeling the soil and studying his grapes every day. Just like a fashion designer would think about how they craft a new item, or winemakers are thinking about how they craft a new flavor. And so there's that creativity there, certainly the shopping aspect of it. It's a very fun, experiential, and exploratory environment. It's probably the only company I've worked for where the men get as excited about shopping in our stores as the women do. <laughs> and so typically I hear the passion and, and the fun and the sport of shopping from our female customers and the men do it because I gotta. But in this environment, the men get just as excited as the women about exploring and shopping in our store. So crossing over that gender divide has been a ton of fun, but it's also really new. We align a little bit more in the grocery space, which has not yet gone through a digital transformation or is going through one right now. And so there's a lot of similarities to how we approach the business today with how we approach the business and the transformation that happened in apparel retail over the last 15 years. So that's fun because I bring a lot of that experience having done it before to this company. Right. And it sounds like because of that green pasture in the grocery store space, as it relates to digital, I mean, that's probably pretty exciting for you to feel like there's a lot that you can do there and a lot to explore and be creative. There is, and it's moving at such a breakneck speed. The transformation, particularly accelerated by COVID, but also accelerated by a lot of big players getting into the space has been a ton of fun because you wake up and sprint every single day. Very good. So wanted to get to talking about leadership challenges and wanted you to share maybe a difficult leadership challenge that you've faced recently. Maybe it has to do with COVID, maybe not. And it's interesting because when I talk to people about their leadership challenge, I notice that many times we kind of gravitate towards the business challenge, which isn't always the same thing as the leadership challenge, although usually they're related. So I'm just curious for you, what's been a difficult leadership challenge that you faced that's really stuck in your mind? Certainly the past year was one extraordinary business challenge after another. So we, as a retail company, we were open throughout COVID. And so we were deemed an essential retailer. And I'm sure many of your listeners sitting at home are grateful that we were deemed an essential retailer. <laughs> we had an extraordinary business pivot. We moved from getting customers in store and assisting them with their in-store purchases to keeping them safe in stores down to physically packaging masks to get them distributed to our stores and in the early days when we were trying to get PPE out to our store associates. And then for the digital business in particular, just like every other retail company, a lot of our business shifted to digital and we needed to invent new ways for our customers to shop with us. We needed to scale our business. So we really, our digital business leapfrogged several years and we had to re-envision the strategy. We had to pivot. So it was definitely from a business challenge standpoint, that put a lot of pressure on the team, which put a lot of pressure on the leadership of the company as well to make sure that A, we were making the right decisions because we were making them fast. 
B, we weren't slipping up in our number one priority, which was to keep people safe. And C, we were bringing the team along with us as fast as we were moving. So that business pivot was certainly an important leadership change for me last year. How long had you been in the company when COVID hit? About eight months. I had already had a strategy in place. So from that standpoint, it actually kind of leveled the playing field. (laughs) So it almost helped because I was the new girl and then we were all in it together. And it really didn't matter whether I had been there for a week or eight months. I was getting my hands dirty and figuring stuff out along with everybody else. It was so new that experience at the company didn't matter. We were just trying to be smart. You made the very smart distinction of breaking up the business challenges and the leadership challenges. Each one of my colleagues and my teammates had to navigate really unique situations during COVID. And those individual situations often collided with the work responsibilities. I had two colleagues with babies whose husbands were deployed overseas. Think about the challenge of that as a working mom to start off with, and then to do that during COVID when getting care in your home or you're worried about your mother or whatever it is, emphasized and exaggerated those challenges. And then of course, over the summer when George Floyd's murder happened, Last May, it affected everybody on the team differently, but it caused us all to stop in our tracks and really assess the world that we live in, and for many of us, the world that we take for granted. And that really opened up a number of challenges, too. How do we address this as individuals? How is it affecting my teammates differently? How do I respect them in that? And then as a leader of the organization that people are turning to, to saying, okay, go make change. How do I start to think about making change? And that responsibility certainly, it still does today, weighs heavily on me. And I just to put a finer point on it, I'm the only female member of the leadership team. And so I am often turned to (laughs) as the one that people look to to say, okay, can you represent us? So that certainly opened up a lot of really fascinating dialogue and certainly tested my leadership. You're putting a really good spotlight on the challenge that leaders have, which is I have people I'm responsible for that I want to take care of who also need to contribute. How do I manage their various needs and difficulties and challenges? But then you have to take care of yourself, right? As a leader, then you just added a third layer, which is being the only female on the leadership team and feeling that responsibility to represent other women in the company, or maybe other women generally, to make sure that there's a good understanding and connection from leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's the added layer too, as you work through all of the challenges that our employees were going through, we also want it to be fair and equitable. And so you want to make accommodations for folks, but how do you make decisions on where you make accommodations and and where you don't? And there were certainly a lot of questions amongst the whole leadership team about how do we ensure that the policy changes that we're making are fair, but also taking care of the folks who work for us. I think what you did is you just painted the picture of the context (laughs) uh, right behind you and where this leadership challenge emerged. So maybe we can go back to that and you can describe that a little bit more. Sure. I think what I did was I kind of painted three (laughs) leadership challenges that all converged at the same time. So this heightened business environment where we were required to produce more than we'd ever produced at the time that we had a heightened social environment that was really putting outside pressure on the team. From a leadership perspective, I pivoted in that moment. So much of leadership for me, particularly in my role as somebody whose mandate it is, is to transform a company and transform a business to be ready for their digital future. So much of what I do is clarify and simplify a vision and then communicate it, communicate it, communicate it, communicate it, and keep communicating it until the organization is rallied around it and do that quickly. 
and move as quickly as you can get the organization to move. And in this environment, it was about stopping, slowing down, particularly around the racial protests and just listening. And right after George Floyd, we had a town hall where I carefully wrote out exactly what I wanted to say. And I wrote it all down and I worked with my husband and he helped me write it out. And he said to me, make no mistake, you can't get this wrong. You have to get this one right. And I started the meeting and I said, well, I'm not going to get this right, guys. That's the one thing I know right now. I'm not going to get it right. Let's get that out there. (laughs) So I'm not going to get it right. So I'm not going to talk. And I shared a little bit about what I was going through. I have been part of a multiracial family, so we were not unaffected by everything that was happening. But I also recognized that I am a white woman. And so I stopped talking. I cried, but I stopped talking and I opened it up to the floor and I cried with people and they cried with me and some other people joined in and cried as well. And we really opened it up and the team just shared. And it was an extraordinary moment. It was all online. So we weren't there to be with each other. So sometimes it was kind of a disembodied voice, but people really opened up and shared their experiences. They shared their questions. They shared ideas. And it was a really inspiring and profound moment. And I think it allowed us to come together as a team and recognize that, well, here's one situation we don't have the answers, but maybe we can work together and go figure a few things out. I love this description of I'm writing everything down. I'm going to get this right. John's like, you got to get it right. And then when you're in front of everybody, you're like, I'm not getting it right. (laughs) So let's just get that out there. So tell me about that. What happened in your mind between those points? I think it was an acknowledgement that it wasn't about me (laughs) and that I did not have the answers. And that's in this situation, clearly I don't have the answers, but as a business leader, my team looks to me for answers. And so even if I don't have the answer, I got to give people a path forward. And in this particular situation, because it was so big and momentous and important. It was an acknowledgement that I wasn't going to be the answer here. I didn't have the answers. And also a recognition that if I was going to ask people to be vulnerable, I had to be vulnerable. And that's not necessarily my most comfortable state, particularly at work. And so I just gave into that vulnerability and kind of let it all hang out. And I am curious about like how you got to that point that you felt like you could be vulnerable. Did this sort of happen on the fly? (laughs) You weren't anticipating how that was all going to fall out or how it was all going to come together the way it it did. Was there a point at which you're like, you made that decision or did it just happen? Prior to the meeting, I had called every Black person that worked for me and every Black person that I knew that worked at the company that I had a relationship with. I wasn't cold calling people, but I was calling everybody that I could and I was listening to their stories. So I think I knew in the buildup as I was trying to craft what I wanted to say, I think I knew that it really shouldn't be my words. Like, I think I knew in my heart that was the wrong direction. And so when the moment came and everybody turned to me to say something, I think I realized that it wasn't my place to say something. I think that was a realization. So it was very much in the moment that I just simply said that I'm turning my microphone off. I want to hear what you all have to say. And then I held my breath and hoped that somebody would speak up and they were amazing and they did. And people really were very thoughtful and considerate and vulnerable themselves. This is such a unique time for everybody right now. There's got to be a leadership lesson that's larger than this special moment you're describing where leaders realize they need to be quiet (laughs) and give the microphone over to other people. What would you say about that? First, 
of all, I don't think I fully digested what, and I don't think anybody has fully digested how 2020 has impacted the way that we interact as a society and the way that we interact in the business world. It's had monumental changes on us. But I do think there's a few things that I hope we carry forward. And that is that people can feel that they can come to work, bringing all of themselves to work. And that all of our problems that we used to hide at home and didn't talk about, not that we want to bring all of that to work with us, but that they can be authentic in who they are at work and they don't have to be somebody else. That was a theme came from our employee base a lot. And so even through COVID, as I got to know the backstories of my team, there was tremendous strength that people had as they navigated their lives and whether they were working with the toddler on their lap and still getting the stuff done, or they were dealing with older parents, or they were worried sick about a relative overseas, people exhibited extraordinary strength. And there's something there. There's something about bringing that strength to work and acknowledging that and giving people flexibility to live their lives, but also recognizing that we are a lot more than just the person that we bring to work. So I think that's one thing that I'll be spending time on and thinking about more. I know more about my employees than I have at any other point in my career and my colleagues about any other point in my entire career. I know what their bedrooms look like. (laughs) I know what their kids look like. I know a lot. Yeah, that's so true. But it's also great because I also know a lot about how unique and individual each of them are. So I think that's something I hope informs how we lead and manage going forward. How has that shaped the way in which you relate to the people that work with you? How does it relate to the way you even think about yourself as a leader or the things you prioritize as a leader? How has that impacted you? Winnie, you know in your profession that my guess is that one of the advices that you give to executives all the time is listen more. And so this was a great year for that lesson, but something that we all know we should be doing, and I certainly don't do enough of it. And so that was certainly a great lesson coming out of this is just ask the next question, listen, let people talk and see what they have to offer. I think some of the authenticity and the vulnerability that just like I know what everybody else's bedroom looks like, they know what mine looks like too. So I think that there's kind of an openness maybe to how we can communicate and how we understand each other. That is something I think that will be interesting as we move forward. Is there anything else that came out from that in terms of the leadership challenge that you faced? I will tell you that I am very distressed by what's happening to women in the workplace as we come out on the other side of the pandemic. So for me now, as a leader, there is the hard tactical work of looking at what we can do to make our workplace more equitable. And as a company, we have made some changes to address that. Women in business has been a personal passion of mine and mentoring women and organizing with women and thinking about how women are represented in the workplace is something that's very important to me. Are there some situations that you could share where you are continuing to think about this or helping people in the mentoring that you do, or even as you think about total wine and more, because it's always within your sphere of influence, right? There's always this big problem and it's like, okay, how do I make an impact or move the needle a little bit given where I am today? So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. On the most practical level, the conversations that I had when I was reaching out to employees over the summer Two of those folks came back and asked me to be a a mentor, which I do and continue to do. So that was great. I developed two very specific relationships coming out of that for folks elsewhere in the organization outside of my team that has really been great and inspiring for me and hopefully helpful to them. So that's, that's a practical aspect. I think that in the work that I'm doing today, I'm still formulating some strategies 
and the company has a big initiative too, so we'll align with them. But I'm formulating some strategies within my team on how we do a better job of promoting people who aren't necessarily front of mind. And so right now, a lot of that is about understanding the numbers. It's about reviewing the organization from a number of different angles to understand if we have the right level of mobility for our teammates, for all of our teammates. I think we've actually done a pretty good job of it within my team, but we have a lot of improvement to do. So that's really where my focal point is now to say, what is the data telling us? And is the data telling us that everybody has an equal opportunity at mobility within the organization? What drives you forward as you continue to encounter change and difficulty, adversity? What keeps you going? I've got three major touchstones in my career. My first part of my career before retail was in banking. And I was in a really kind of stodgy part of the bank. People would get really excited about congressional tax code change. That's where I work. And so <laughs> So there wasn't a lot of change there, but it happened to be in the 1990s, and there was a ton of merger and acquisition activity. And so I would literally get up in the morning and listen to the radio and wait to hear who had bought whom to find out who I was working for that day. It was just tremendous amount of activity. And what I saw was that when that disruptive change happened, some people froze and some people moved. And the people that moved, moved up. And so I learned quickly that where there are leadership vacuums, there are opportunities. And so when the merger happened, I raised my hand and said, how can I be helpful? Can I go take over that group and I'll go work there and I'll go help you with this and I can be a subject matter expert here. And when I think about what motivates me, seeking out those pockets of opportunity and then figuring out how to fill them. And so that's a big motivator for me. The white space is a big motivator for me. And I learned that certainly early in my career. Just kind of thinking about our stress response, yeah. <laughs> you know, right? Either fight or flight. Yep. And it sounds like you fight. And yet in some ways, because other people flee or other people are frozen or they feel like they can't function, maybe for good reasons, right? But you take that as an opportunity to say, where can I fit in? How can I help? Where can I continue to help move us along? In that case, it translated to people feeling unsure about their work environment. And you can apply that to business. So when there's disruptive change in business, some people say, stay the course. We know what we're doing. This has worked for us in the past. And then other businesses say, wait a minute, the landscape just changed. We better go figure out how to change to meet these new challenges. And I think we would all agree that the second business will be more a successful business in the end because they're better able to adapt. And so I probably translated that early learning that was for career success and then translated it to business success later. Yeah. Another pivot for me, which was a great boss, I had an outstanding boss when I was moving from a junior executive to a senior executive role, and she had a motto that was, be brief, be bright, be gone. And what <laughs> she was communicating to me in those six words were, distill the complexity until you've got that big idea, and then communicate it really well, and then go make it happen. Get out of my way and go make it happen. And for me, that has translated into really defining that clarity of mission. And so with the folks that I work with, what are we all doing together? And then how do I sell that idea to everybody else and then go get it done? And so that was such a great lesson and one that stuck with me in how to be successful at that next level of executive management. Wow. I really like that. <laughs> In one of my early transformational roles, I worked with a woman who was just an outstanding storyteller. And she 
didn't necessarily have better ideas than me and she wasn't necessarily smarter than me, but she was great at putting her ideas into a story that made sense to everybody sitting around the table. And she was great at translating her ideas into a language that the audience could understand. And I think that I've often been about, well, look at the work that I've done and look what a great idea I have. And this was a great pivot point to say, oh, I got to sell that idea too. And I've got to sell it to people that have their own ideas. <laughs> and maybe my <laughs> idea is going to get in the way of their idea. And that idea of being able to take that clarity of mission that I talked to a minute ago and really sell it as a story. In fact, I use this all the time. I say to my team, what's the story? Tell me the story. Tell me the story. So often they probably roll their eyes when I'm not looking. But I really reinforce that because we need to go out and tell our story if we want people to change their behaviors and do business differently. And that was a really important pivot for me, just being that behavior and then recognizing when I modeled that behavior, I had a lot more success at it. And that has been a touchstone for me as I've moved forward. A lot of leaders struggle with that. And maybe in the past, they've been rewarded with, like you said, here, I've done the work. The work will speak for itself. It's good enough. The words that you use, like story, a common language, knitting together the ideas and presenting them in a way that people can really resonate with them is really a leadership skill and a powerful one that people don't always remember they need to have in their toolkit. I agree. And it's counsel that I give people that I work with a lot, particularly with what I do. I have a lot of CEOs that will say to me, I don't really understand what you do. <laughs> and so for me, that could be a good thing. I can hide behind that and say, well, don't look at the man behind the curtain. But I actually think it's my job to demystify what I do so that the CEO can understand how it fits in their strategy. And in order to do that, I have to translate what I do into language that they understand and into language that they're comfortable with. And it is very easy to hide behind the tech and to hide behind the newness and the shiny new object. I think it's harder to say, let me break this down for you in a way that makes sense in the context of our business and why it's a big idea and how we're gonna execute the big idea. As we reflect on touchstones that have influenced you in your career, if someone's maybe listening who is a woman who's starting out their career, do you have advice for that person? I have two pieces of advice. And the first one is to raise your hand and the second one is to say yes. And so particularly for women, unconscious bias is real and it's pervasive. And you think that you're top of mind for somebody because the work you've done has been great and because they complimented you in a meeting or because you worked really well with them three years ago. You are not top of mind. Most people are top of mind for themselves. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. And so raising your hand and saying, I'm interested in, I want to move up. Winnie, I'll, I'll give you an example of somebody that you and I both know and that I um, moved to this company and I wanted to bring her with me. And I said, you know, she just had a baby. She's not going to want the job. And my husband said, are you crazy? Call her and ask her that. That's, I mean, there's unconscious bias, right? Me, me who's saying that I... Your husband's uncovering your unconscious bias. <laughs> exactly. And I'm this great leader of women and this great proponent of women in business. And here I am doing exactly that. That's how pervasive it is. Yeah, that's a great example. So I called her and she was interested and it didn't work out, but maybe it would have. And But I'm guessing the reason it didn't work out is not because she just had a baby. You are 100% correct. And so... <laughs> Right. If I can do it, everybody can do it. And so going back to raising your hand, making sure that people are thinking of you and recognize that you have interests and ambitions outside of what might be the most straight career path. And then the second part to that is to say yes. And so interesting opportunities pop up and a lot of them are flawed. 
about 10 years ago, I was asked to get on a plane and fly to another country every single week and run a business in another country. And I said, yes. And it was an extraordinary experience, extraordinary, and was a great, great career success. It was hard work and it was a big challenge. And there were a whole bunch of reasons why I maybe didn't want to take on the aspect of all that travel, but it was a great opportunity. And so raising your hand and saying yes, I think are two of the most important things that you can do to drive your career forward. And when I think about raising your hand, I kind of think about being in a classroom and someone asked a question and therefore I'm raising my hand. And I have a feeling that when you say raise your hand, maybe you're raising your hand without anyone having asked a question. Absolutely. Go talk to people throughout the organization and ask them about what they do. Express an interest in what they do. Let them know that, hey, if you have opportunities, I'd love to get involved. Are you working on an interesting project? I'd love to help you out. Talk to your boss, talk to your boss's boss, and just make sure that people know that you have ambitions and that you have interests. Don't be afraid of lateral moves. They're great. And have conversations with the folks that you can to let them know that you're there, you're interested, and you're ready when the opportunity arises. It's all about timing. I like the way that you framed it because people may bristle at, go tell people about you and what you're great at. And you didn't say this, by the way, what you're great at and sell yourself. You didn't frame it like that. The way you framed it is, I can help with that. That's something I'd love to get involved in. That's something that I can do for you. I'm just kind of pointing that out because I think that's important for people to feel like they have accessible language and ways to do that. That doesn't feel either inauthentic or doesn't feel too pushy. Yeah. If you have an opportunity on your team or an opportunity on a project that you think I could be helpful, let me know is great. Listen, every executive in the world is trying to cultivate great talent. We're only as good as the team that we work with. And so if there's an opportunity to open somebody's eyes to more great talent, that's a good thing. People won't take offense at that. How has your experience being a woman impacted or influenced your leadership? And of course, you only know yourself as a woman, <laughs> so you don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> but I'm just curious, is there anything there that you've learned or has been helpful or that's impacted you? I've grown more comfortable with this as I've evolved in my career. I have a unique voice. And I've, particularly because it's the only one in the room often, but I do have a unique voice and a unique point of view. And as I've gotten more comfortable with the fact that I'm a woman allows me to bring that to the table, I've been able to use it more often. And so this also happens to fit with my career in retail because typically we sell to women. And so to be able to give a viewpoint to say, well, I think women might think about that a little bit differently or me as a mother, I think moms think about that a little bit differently. I I could give an example. We were talking about launching curbside pickup at the company and this was before COVID and everybody was launching curbside pickup and whether or not it was valuable customers. And I just looked around the room and I said, how many of you have buckled and unbuckled a car seat? (laughs) (laughs) The difference between having to unbuckle and buckle a car seat would be the difference between me going to your store or the store next door. (laughs) So that's the mom part of it. But there is definitely a viewpoint and a different way of thinking that I bring to the table. And it's because of my experiences as a woman, certainly. That's awesome. So there are advantages to being a woman who has that unique perspective and that unique voice. Of course, the important thing is that that voice is listened to and not just listened to in the sense of, oh, let's make it easier for women. No, this actually relates to the bottom line and us getting more customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think things are different today. Certainly when I was coming up, I didn't feel that I had the freedom to focus on my experiences as a woman and to use that as a benefit in meetings. Like I definitely did not feel that way 
coming up and I, I modeled my language and I modeled my contribution to look like what the language of the room was using and the contribution the room was making. So I've relied on that more because I, being a, a broader business executive, I also recognize that alternate viewpoints are important. So do you think just with maturity and age and therefore growing more confident that that's given you an, opportunities to maybe have a different voice or show a different language that is tied to business benefits? Yes, absolutely. It's the confidence and experience that allows me to recognize that my viewpoint is going to add value. I was speaking to a group of women in banking actually several years ago, and one of them came up to me afterwards and she said, they just told me I'm too nice. <laughs> with that. And I was like, oh, is that still happening? <laughs> Goodness, I'm still saying that. And so I said to her, good, I'm nice too. Like, <laughs> is that really the problem? Ask the question. Find out what they're really trying to tell you. Because telling her you're too nice is just backhanded. Like, it's a good thing that you're nice. And what you need to distinguish is between is the fact that you are considerate and empathetic and authentic too nice. Or did you not exhibit the competitive instincts you needed to exhibit to get the deal done? Like you have to distinguish between those two things and ask the next question. But because the first part of that, the empathy and the compassion and the authenticity is a great part of being a woman in the workplace. And so embrace that and don't let somebody criticize that. But regardless of your gender, you're not as competitive as you need to be to get the job done. Okay, then that's critical feedback that you should take and incorporate. And that's a really interesting distinction because it almost goes back to what you were saying about raising your hand because you can take someone's feedback like you're too nice and then not really, like you said, unpack it, like dig a little bit deeper and ask some really great questions in a way that's not defensive and that's welcoming to really understand, tell me more about that. What do you see me doing? What could I be doing instead? Because you're right, there's a lot that could be there. And if you don't unpack that, you could go in a lot of wrong different directions. Right, absolutely. Ask the next question. This was such a great conversation. I really loved your stories and your helpful things to grab onto to understand how women can be better about advocating for themselves and understanding how they can be leaders and show up as leaders, no matter kind of what environment they're in, which I think is challenging, but I think that you've got some really great things to hold on to here. Thank you so much for being on my show and for sharing a part of you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Juanita Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at winifred.org. Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much.